Okay, welcome to the Nil Nil Football Podcast. This is episode 29. Almost to 30. All right. Almost there. So, uh, before we started the podcast, I was mentioning you there's like an interesting little thing. So, uh, all right. So, uh, MLS did a quick little stats uh, roundup and. Um, they have a top five list of teams who have gained the most points from losing positions. So let's say they concede first, right? Oh, okay. So whoever's come back yeah, much? To, to win games or get a tie, basically. Whoever's done okay. that the most. Okay. In first place is Austin FC, who have gained 16 points from losing positions. Wow. So they've trailed in a game and come back come back to win 16 points in yes. different games. Yes. Wow. All right. Second place is Montreal with 14 points. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense with their uh, win or lose kind of, you know, record. Yeah. Surprisingly, third place is Inter-Miami. I want to say that the recently they've been that kind of team. Yeah. Because at the beginning of the season, if they got scored on first, they definitely were going to end up losing the game. There was no coming back. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, tied for third is Toronto okay. FC. Really? Yeah. I find that one a little harder to believe. Me too, considering how low they are on the table. Yeah, and how often they're more of losing. Yeah. All right, and in fifth place, we have LAFC. Of course. Who is also tied with San Jose with 12 points. See, San Jose definitely makes sense, especially with a lot of those games that they've gone down to. They've gone down three and somehow still scraped out one point. Yeah. So that makes sense. And LAFC obviously makes sense. The track record is usually to get scored on first and mm -hmm. then win the game or at least tie it. All right, and now let's cut to the top five teams for the opposite stat. So what I mean by Wait, this... Who have started off winning and ended up losing the game? Points, no. This is the bottom... Oh, technically, this is the bottom five of that same list of points gained from the losing position. <laughs> so who are the teams that are worse at coming back when they concede first? Uh, Chicago. Number one. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. They, well, they're tied for last place with another team that's kind of surprising. Uh, another team that's kind of surprising. Philadelphia? No. Orlando City. Mm. Okay. Which is interesting. So they've both, from all the times that they've started off losing, mm -hmm. they've only gotten one point. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't really have what what these stats really mean is that the teams who are on this end part of the list don't have much hope of a comeback if they get scored on first. Yep. Okay. All right. So tied for twenty sixth place, so the bottom. Um, FC Cincinnati. Yeah, it makes sense. They I feel won. like Cincinnati tends to be more of the have to score first or be ahead in order to win the game. 
So they've only been able to um, get three points back. Uh, they're tied with Colorado Rapids as well. Okay. You know who I was surprised not to hear in that uh, top five was uh, Portland. Well, you think they're good at coming back? I feel like they do have that ability to do it. Well, you'd be surprised because the next place is the Portland Timbers, who have only gotten four points back from losing. Yeah, I mean, if they're not on one end, they're on the other. But we got a we got a four way tie for that position. So you got Nashville as well. Only four points have gone. They've gone back from losing positions. Charlotte mm-hmm. and LA Galaxy. I mean Carson Galaxy, right? Right. All right. So now we go to the opposite list. So if they start off winning, who's dropped the most points? Or who's dropped the least amount of points, actually? Who's dropped the least amount of points? Yes. Oh, that's tough. Someone who's normally stayed within the same range. I'm guessing LA? Oh, LAFC? Yeah. Yeah. So from when they score first, they've dropped zero points. Which means that when we score first, we have a hundred percent win rate. Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned that, I do remember one of the casters in that game saying that exactly, saying it whenever LA has scored first, they normally end up going on to win the game. Yep. So that yeah, that makes sense. All right. So in second place is actually uh, Inter Miami. What? Not only do they get the most points, are they in the top five for getting points back from losing positions, but the, when they are winning, they drop few. They only drop two points. So they usually end up drawing. So technically, yeah, they should be better. <laughs> they should be better. They should be higher up, too. Yeah. But uh, but th- those two statistics does show the improvement in form that they've had this season. Because... It went from us making them the butt of every joke about how bad they are and how terrible they are. And, well, let's not even get started with their Barcelona game today. Um, but they're actually haven't have improved. And it makes sense with these statistics. Yeah. Um, and then below that is NYCFC, four points. Uh, then we got that Galaxy on fourth with five points. And then Salt Lake and Charlotte are tied with six points that they've dropped. So that one's a very interesting list. Not a lot of teams you expect to be on there that they're good at keeping their leads. Um, I would say the opposite end of the list seems more like what you'd expect for bad teams. So the worst team in losing points when Toronto. No. The New England Revolution. Really? Yes, they've dropped 24 points. For them being in 10th place, that's not a statistic I would expect from them. Yeah, that's a huge amount of points. That is a huge amount of points. but That's, that's at least something. 8 games worth of points. Okay, I'm, look, I'm looking at their goal difference. They're at minus 2. Yeah. They only have 25 points, right? Uh, yes. And they've lost 24. <laughs> So They've, they got like yeah. a they got a fifty percent probably like a fifty one percent chance of getting yeah. points. I guess they have lost a total of seven games. That's twenty one points, and yeah. they've drawn seven. So that's fourteen points on top of that that mm-hmm. have been dropped. Yep. All right, thirty five points. Jeez. So 
Uh, considering that the next team isn't even really that close, they're eight points down. So Vancouver Whitecaps is the second worst with 16 points dropped. And every other team seems to be around that area. Yeah, and that makes sense too. I mean, Vancouver is around the same position in their conference as New England. Yeah. And uh, just to round out the rest, uh, so tied for 26, you got FC Cincinnati and FC Dallas. And tied for 24th is Minnesota United and Philadelphia Union, who's actually down there. It's interesting. Oh, wow. I guess one of those, one of those, uh, Philadelphia Union, one of those games was against LAFC themselves. Right. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting little stat uh, sheet that the MLS uploaded. I thought it was cool. That is interesting, but it, it does reflect their form. Yeah. You know, the later you go into the season, that's definitely going to change the positioning in that list. Um, but in this current moment, it does show what form they're in. Like I said, Inter-Miami, we were so used to seeing them at the bottom. Um, but now they're pretty much slightly below mid-table. Two yeah. positions off of being middle. Yep. All right. So, let's... Uh... Before we get into the MLS action that happened over the weekend, let's jump to the Euro Women's 2022, right? How, how's that going? That's uh, going well. Um, the group matches or the group stage is finally closed, and we have our matchups for the quarterfinal. Um, <clears throat> so we have England facing Spain on Wednesday. Uh, that at, should be a good game. Yeah, that should be a good game, especially because they're, England is the host of this tournament since they're playing there. And they've kind of been on really good form. Uh, pretty much the peak of the form has been their game against Norway, which was an 8-0 win. Um, so they're saying that they're pretty much the favorites to win this tournament. Um so they'll be playing against Spain, who has been playing well, but just has not had very convincing results. They did end up winning their group match, their final group match against Denmark, and that was just a 1-0 win. Uh, and it it might be a kind of a difficult game for Spain to win, but we don't know how England might end up doing against them because they have been a bit more of a passing kind of team. You know, the classic Spanish style of play um and so england with england i feel like they're going to be a bit more open so maybe they might have more opportunities because the opportunities do come it's just they can't convert their opportunities into goals or at least they're failing to do that interesting so uh, that's going to be one of the quarterfinals or at least the first quarterfinal that's going to be coming up um after that we have germany and austria playing on thursday the 21st Mm-hmm. So this game um, <clears throat> is going to be Germany, Germany Junior, right? <laughs> yeah, Germany, Germany Junior, or Austria Senior versus, versus Germany Junior. Um, this is going to be an interesting game. Is Austria played against Norway in such a tactical way when it came defensive, defensively? Uh, Norway needed to win this game against uh, Austria just at least by one goal uh, while the group stage was going on. If they did that, they would have passed. But because Austria scored on them, 
Norway needed to win by two goals in order to to go on to the next um, the next round. Uh, but Austria, I, I found it interesting because I was watching this game and Austria did so well at shutting every single idea that Norway had. Anything that Norway was throwing in Austria, they just blocked it. They they parked the bus so well. And mm. I feel like defensively, they are going to be something that Germany is going to have to maybe struggle with. Yeah. Um, I'd say that was probably one of the big upsets, considering that we were both rooting for Norway to make it through. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And considering the level of players they have, I mean, they got two players in Barcelona. Um, they have a handful of others. I think they've got a couple in the Premier League. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like it's one of those teams that doesn't have, like, they just have players in the domestic league. They got them in all no, the no. top five leagues in women's. Yeah, yeah, they have, they have not even just the top five leagues, they have them in, in the top teams. Yep. But the problem with the Norway team was there was no spirit. There was no passion. There was no hunger for a win. The, um, the weird thing is, back, uh, no, what I'm thinking is that they had Ada Hegerberg, right? Or, and uh, she, yeah. She was uh, reigning or the, one, of, one of the old Ballon d'Or winners. And technically, they should have been better right. this time. But last time when they played without her, it was even better. And that's exactly what the casters were saying. And they were saying how... Um, you would think that they would have been such a better team with her on the field, but I believe they mentioned that they didn't really have too much time with her on the team. So it was hard to establish kind of a good team play with her. Uh, At the same time, they heavily relied on her making plays. So they kind of strayed away from their old way of playing, which was more of a team style, and that's why nothing was really connecting. And, and it really, like, if you go back and watch the highlights of these games, or if you have them recorded and you watch these games, you will see that everybody was kind of just on their own page. The midfield was practically invisible. Hegerberg was trying, but it, it was like nobody knew exactly what to do, and nobody was really fighting to win. There were there weren't really too many challenges where you'd say, oh yeah, they're they're going for it. It's kind of sad. I mean, I'm just thinking about how they defended against uh, who was England? it? Yeah, England seven nil loss. I mean, yeah. yeah, sure, England. Yeah, sure, England's good. Uh, but just some of the defending there, like they were just ball watching. There wasn't really any. Yeah. They didn't look frantic in terms of defending. It just looks like ah, whatever. If another one goes in, who cares, right? Yeah, I forget what the player's name for Norway was. Um, I don't know if it was Thor's daughter, maybe. Um, she apparently did not go for any like fifty, like fifty challenges in air balls against the England attackers. It was like she was afraid. I think she had committed a foul and gotten maybe called for that. I don't. I don't think she had gotten a yellow, but. She she did commit a foul and maybe she got like too scared to even try, uh, and that's kind of a terrible thing to have on the field. Someone who's not even willing to challenge in the air, especially yeah. for Norway, which they were known for their air game. You know, long balls overhead, corners, set pieces, anything that was overhead was it's pretty much a Norway thing. But you saw none of that here. Yeah. Um, and considering they have one of the best players in the tournament with uh, Graham Hansen, right? 
Graham Hansen, yeah. She honestly, she got the ball and she wasn't even able to do much either. It, it's like they were all playing bizarro versions of themselves that just didn't know how to play as good as they normally do. Yeah, but anyway, let's not talk about the losers too much. We should focus yeah, on the so, winners who are still in the tournament, right? Yeah, so unfortunately for Norway, but congratulations to Austria for moving on to the next round. They played perfectly that game. You know, they scored their goal. It wasn't even an early goal. Uh, it came in at the 37th minute. And after that, they still continued to try and score more. But whenever Norway did try to come at them, they played it perfectly when it came to defensive tactics so i think that germany is going to have kind of a struggle on their hands yes they're known to be a powerhouse and that we saw how they shoot and it's very terrifying with the speed that they hit the ball um but i feel like germany isn't the same that we saw like what two world cups ago where they were really just over dominating everybody um, so I feel like they're going to struggle against Austria. This is not going to be a high-scoring game. I feel like it's going to be maybe a one-to-two goal game. Okay. Um, who else is it? So we talked England, Spain. Then we got Germany versus Austria. <laughs> Netherlands is still in it, aren't they? Uh, yes. That's going to be the fourth quarterfinal. Um, that's going to be France and Netherlands. So it's going to be the reigning champions which is the Netherlands against France. Should be another good game right there. Yeah, and France is also another favorite in this tournament because they are just fantastic as a team. They play very, very well. Uh, I'd actually put them on par with some of the, the way that the the guys play. I mean, um, think about the creativity they got from somebody yeah, like... Yeah, the team play is just so good. Like and Cascarino amazing. running down the yeah. left. I mean, just think about how good they played against Italy. Was it a 5-0 five, five no win? 5-1? Uh, that was 5-1, yeah, against Italy. Yeah. Uh, they they played really well. We really thought that that was going to go way higher when it came to the score, uh, but it didn't. And um, I feel like between those two, it's hard to say that France is going to dominate just because Netherlands is still a tough, a tough opponent as well. Um, their last match was against Switzerland, and they won that game four to one. So it's okay. not like France is outscoring them if you compare the game the game results. As long as they're not giving any PKs. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> All right, what's the uh, what's the remaining the, quarterfinal? The final quarterfinal is, or the last quarterfinal is uh, Sweden versus Belgium. I feel like this is one of those underrated ones because uh, all I know from Sweden is they got Aslani. She's the one out there scoring yes. goals. But besides they that... They have Aslani you know, and Sweden is considered the number two team in the world. Yeah. But they have not been playing like the number two team in the world. Um, their, their record in this uh, group stage was two wins, one draw. Uh, so they won their first game and that was against the net no they tied their first game against the netherlands 1-1 um then they won against switzerland 2-1 and then they won their last one against portugal 5-0 
so that's pretty much the only one where you see that high difference in um, in goal scored. Uh, but if you see, if they're playing a, a very quality type team like the Netherlands, it it's not something that it's easy for them. And from the games that I saw, they have not been playing the same either. You know, if I compare them to when we saw them before in either the World Cups or in the last Euros, um, they have been struggling a bit when it comes to their attack and to finalizing their their shots. Uh, but they are in this quarterfinal and they'll be playing Belgium, who ended up upsetting. I'm guessing this would be an upset because uh, Italy... It was their last opponent and it was whichever one from those two was going to move on uh, and they beat Italy 1-0 not bad but how does Belgium play I haven't really seen any of their games I, I'd love to say that I have seen them play but I didn't really see them play so I kind of a question mark for me too uh, so, so I don't know exactly how, how they play I don't think that they're going to be that dominant honestly I feel like this should be a win for Sweden. But on paper, I don't know if it's gonna be, right. on paper, at least. I don't know if it's going to be an easy win or a difficult win for them. Um, if I go back to their to their results, um, Belgium ended up winning one, drawing one, and losing one. So they, the one that they won was against Italy. And... Uh, so yeah, I feel like Sweden should win on paper on this one, but uh, we'll see. But they're all really, really good matchups. Yeah. All right. Give give us give us your quick prediction for the next games. Come on. Okay. So <clears throat> I feel like even though everybody's okay, I want to say Spain's going to win against England. Yeah. It's going to be an upset. Uh, Germany Austria. I feel like Germany's going to win. It's going to probably be like one nil. Sweden's going to win maybe like 2 or 3 now. And between France and Netherlands, that's kind of tough. Um, I feel like it could go to penalties in this one. Yeah, I was going to say that for the Spain-England uh, one, that Spain was going to win. Because based on what you were saying, that they were struggling to put away their chances, it just seems like the pressure of the home advantage is getting to them a little bit. So they're getting slightly more nervous when it comes to finishing, considering they have somebody like Ellen White, who's uh, one well, of the... not, England's not the one struggling with the finishes. It's Spain. Oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, no, England. I mean, look at their their scores: five nil against North Ireland. Okay. Uh, Eight nil against Norway and one nil against Austria. Okay, bar Norway, this should have. They're supposed to win all those matches, right? They should have, but. Look, that first match against Austria, Austria only limited them down to 1-0. So that really shows Austria's defensive capabilities. Yeah. You know, so... Um, I'm going to stick, stick with my statement and say the pressure is yeah. still going to get... <laughs> okay, yeah, no, no. I mean, it could. It could, you know. But uh, Spain is, I want to say attacking wise a better quality side than austria they just have been struggling with that final touch to to convert a goal um but when when you think about link up play they're doing a great job like they can move forward they can move the ball forward yeah it's just that last 
like final third part, you know, taking the shot and actually scoring it. That's uh, that's where they're struggling. So I'm going to go Spain to win this one uh, for the upset. Uh, Germany, Austria. I did say Germany was going to win 1-0. Yeah, they uh, should. I feel like, I, I feel like they should. They, they'll end up finding a way to get through Austria, but Austria is not going to make it easy. And Sweden, then, Belgium, that's Sweden. Yeah. And the last one, France, Netherlands. I would go France, with Netherlands. France, Netherlands, that was, that was just really difficult for me to, to, to guess because as much as I want to say Netherlands, I mean, France is just such a good quality side too. Yes, but I'm going to go with Netherlands because they got one of the best strikers in Miedema. Yeah, so... I'm still going to say this is probably just going to be a toss-up in penalties. We'll see. We'll see if it does come to penalties. We'll we know who scores them better. <laughs> Netherlands. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and before we move on to anything else, one last women's soccer-related uh, thing was the... USA-Canada. Women's... Yes. The All Women's right, CONCACAF Championship. USA versus Canada. Uh, the U.S. ended up defeating Canada 1-0 yesterday. And with that, when they have qualified themselves for the World Cup. I thought they already qualified. No, they weren't. Apparently, if they lost, they would go into, um, I think, a playoff. Interesting. Yeah. I, th- I also thought that they were qualified, but apparently this win um, solidified them qualifying for the World Cup. But this is yet another win for the U.S. Well, same old, same old. <laughs> same old, same old. It wasn't extremely convincing. They did struggle, but it definitely shows the experience that the U.S. as a team has over Canada. Yeah, I mean, considering it was only 1-0, usually the U.S. is known to defeat teams by multiple goals. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, they play a ton of friendlies throughout the year. Um, and they yeah. always win it by multiple goals. But the fact that Canada held them only to 1-0, I mean, that goes to show how good Canada is, considering that, what was it again? You had the World Cup winner versus uh, the Olympics the winner, Olympic. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, good for USA. I mean, we are American. We are American at the end of the day, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, that that's uh, the action that happened over these last couple of days for the women's soccer, at least international-wise. Well, looks like we got more exciting stuff to come along the way. Uh, let's transition now. We're gonna switch over to uh, we're gonna switch over to the quick MLS highlights. Uh, well, quick MLS <laughs> review of the action that happened over the weekend. Uh, touch. Want to touch a little bit on um, San Jose versus the LA Galaxy. LA Galaxy losing two derby games, three to two, in the span of a week. So that, that's always good to see. <laughs> oh yeah that was the midweek game yes san jose yeah yeah um didn't we already talk about this one yeah i just wanted to reiterate it uh also <laughs> it took about 21 weeks but seattle's finally out of the power rankings right <laughs> really they're they dropped below 10 yes they did but they're champions league i know they got wrong ideas did really did Chicago really do the solid for everybody and drop him out of that power rankings? I guess so, because they're not they're not in the top ten no more. And all the comments have been saying, finally, they're out of the power rankings. 
It's like everybody's just been waiting for that. Yeah, because nobody gets why they were in there. Because I think they went through a run of like losing every single game. And uh, we always say that Seattle starts off terrible and get good. They get good toward the the postseason, but I right. mean we're we're reaching. I mean I think we're past the halfway point now. We're we're like in the, the second third of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean they don't have a lot of time left. I think we're at, probably need like thirteen games left or something like that. They don't have right. a lot of time to fix up their their form. Yeah, no, and currently they're in ninth in the Western Conference. Right, they're outside of the playoff zone, right? Yes, they're two positions off of the playoff zone. Uh, surprisingly, they're below Portland, and Portland had been having a terrible time for a couple couple of weeks. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they ended up losing one nil to Sh- uh, Chicago. <laughs> I was about to say Charlotte. <laughs> Uh, Montreal, Toronto. Toronto keeps on losing until it puts its uh, Italian players on the field, I guess. What uh, happened to Sancedo, though? Oh, I ended up going back to Juarez on a family emergency. <laughs> yeah, no. See, I mean... Exactly the same excuse he used at Atric Frankfurt, but still. Right, yeah. Um, Toronto losing this. I feel like we both predicted that Montreal was going to win this. Yeah. And, um, you know... Montreal ended up going down one player at the 81st minute, so Toronto had nine minutes to try and work some magic. Well, I guess Bob Bradley don't got no magic, you know? Mm, nope. It's because they, they signed Mark Anthony K. That's why. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting that he's there now. Yeah. I'm still thinking about him at Colorado. Well, maybe he did a turnover. Maybe he gave the ball away. Nah, I don't think I don't even think he played. To be honest, he did play. He was in the starting lineup. Really? Yes. Oh, never mind. That explains it. <laughs> yeah, the li- the I'll tell you right now. The middle lineup was uh, Petraso, K, uh, Bradley, and Thompson. Well, they started Bradley. That's your problem. Well, you started Bradley and K. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're gonna continue seeing this form of. Toronto for a while. Well, I mean, good news is uh, Insigne and Berendeschi, Berendeschi. I still don't know how to say his name. Either way, they're gonna play. They're gonna play in the next match, pretty much. I thought I thought Insigne was still injured though. He was. It was a slight injury, but I mean, oh, their okay. other so GP is still available. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what other game? I mean, Charlotte Miami. Was, Charlotte Miami. That, that was, was a good game. Yeah, we both wanted Charlotte to win, at least from what I remember that we talked about. But uh, Miami, speaking of the st- statistics, came back and won it 3-2. Yep. And um, last-minute goal, too. Yeah. And Charlotte, just, mm-hmm. I guess, they weren't focusing on... They didn't focus on one of the... I don't know if it was a set-piece or whatever, but they didn't focus, and they ended up letting the goal in. Uh, kind of yeah. frustrating for them because it was last minute. So <laughs> it basically yeah. just cost them the three points. And um, I don't know anything about this game, but Galaxy, a third loss in a row against Colorado. No, I didn't even notice, to be honest. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm lost just against Colorado. I'm just used to it at this point, you know? <laughs> oh, so it's not even news anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just expected. Um, then yeah. you had uh, the one of the Texas Derbies. I think we need to have a different name for this one. I mean, there's so many Texas Derbies. They need a name for each one. So you got Dallas, yeah. Austin. Tied one one. 
Right. Um, good news for us because uh, that meant LAFC with one win could go to the top of the table. And, and we're still down second. a game. Yes, we have a game in hand. Uh, Atlanta, Orlando, that was a that was a pretty decent game, if I do say so myself. It was really back and forth. Um, yeah, this just... game easily um, should have been a win for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. If it was for a goalie paying attention. Are you talking about the six save by Pedro Gaese? Oh, no, I'm talking about... Oh, the, the first kick. one. Yeah, the I'm free talking kick. about the free kick. If Atlanta's goalie was paying attention during the free kick, then Orlando wouldn't have scored, and they would have won this 1-0. Yeah, they should have put in Godinho. Yeah, they should have. They have him on the bench, and that was a surprise to both of us. I know. We had no idea where he went after he left Chivas. I guess he ended up in Atlanta. And if there's anything we know about Mexican players going to Atlanta, it's that they get sent somewhere else right away. Because uh, <laughs> he had about Ronaldo. He's playing there. No, I mean, he had Cubo Torres. Where is he now? Second division, right? Oh, Orange County. Terrible. That's where he was playing. Uh, you had yeah. Jurgen Dam, who didn't do squat. And he's now with America, not doing squat. Uh, and then you got... Um, was it so now you have Ronaldo Cisneros who barely started playing after riding the bench the whole season only because yeah. Joseph Martinez decided to fight with his teammates pretty much <laughs> uh, so that's the only reason he yes play. and now you have Woodin. yeah so uh this game should have been a win for Atlanta in my opinion um because other than that they they did Orlando did have um some shots but I don't think anything was extremely threatening yeah. To to be um, a winner. Except for the last five minutes. The last five minutes of that game were insane. I know. and uh, I mean, Atlanta was so close. And then, you know, Pogaisa pulled off the insane save. That was going top yeah. ends. And so, Pato with that long shot that almost went in and just bounced off of the yeah. woodwork. Yeah, watching those crazy. last five minutes was worth it, I'd say. <laughs> Honestly, you could have skipped the whole game and just watched the last five minutes and yeah. it would have been good enough. Yep. Um, then we had the Red Bulls versus New York uh, City FC. I would say that game was kind of boring. I was watching, I want to say, 20 minutes of the first half and absolutely nothing was going on. And, and then you fell asleep. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I fell asleep yeah, in New York. I ended up waking up in Ohio. So that... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, that game was pretty boring. They kind of canceled each other out. Um, Red Bulls looked like they could have had something, but they were kind of lacking in creativity. Yeah. You know, um, Morgan was trying, but not enough. Clearly, because they only lost one now. Uh, let's move on to the next one. So we got Columbus versus Cincinnati. I believe this mm-hmm. game was pretty decent, too. From what I saw in the first 10 minutes, Columbus was dominating pretty heavily, especially when Cucho Hernandez scored. Um, mm-hmm. He's their new signing. I think he, he scored... Four goals in 89 minutes of play. <laughs> Four? Wow. That's but that's, a, that's across three games. So That's still impressive because but, that means he's been getting a little bit of time in each game and every time he scored. Yeah, pretty much. So it looks like Luis Elarayan finally, you know, he's the main DP. He's the one that everybody passed the ball to. He's not passing yeah. the ball to Cucho, who finishes them off. So it's a deadly combination. Looks oh, like he so was, he's just been missing that part. Yeah, it looks like he's already a good signing. I mean, they bought him, and he's already performing right away. So I think they're pretty happy with their signing. Cincinnati didn't really have anything going forward. They had a couple of chances, but it's one of those, like, if they're lucky, they'll be able to get a chance that they can score. But uh, it was like 
houses into the box, stuff like that. No, nothing really too right. concrete from what I saw. Um, but yeah. yeah, but I didn't, I wasn't able to watch it to the end because right after that, uh, like Cincinnati is the team that has a Costa, right? Yeah, you got Lucho Costa, you got Brandon yeah. Vasquez. Right. Got... So they, they're actually missing Acosta. He hasn't played in the last two games. Um, I'm not sure if he's injured or not. Probably is. Probably is. Uh, at least according to my fantasy team, it says that he's unavailable. So probably uh, injured. Probably injured, I'm guessing. But he, I feel like he's a a main driving force behind Cincinnati's success so far. Yep. Um, and it shows. Yes. It definitely shows. Another quick reminder. Uh Roman Berkey is going to be their keeper, remember? For Cincinnati? Yes. From Dortmund. What? Yes. yes. We talked about this. I'm pretty sure we talked about this in another podcast. We probably did, but I completely forget all these things. Um, so, But that, what about Vermeer? I mean, he's like S-class. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be S-class bench. I don't know. <laughs> South bench. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, they're getting a great keeper. I mean, that's definitely going to help them in maybe having less goals scored. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the, well, we'll talk about LAC at the end as usual. So, uh, Salt Lake versus Kansas City. Uh, Salt Lake ended up winning 3 0 on paper. That's kind of what you expect, especially with mm-hmm. how decent, uh, Russell Lake's been this season. Then you got San Jose versus Houston. I think I predict that Houston was going to win this one. Um, uh, and yeah, I think I, he went San Jose. I went San Jose on this one. Yeah, I think I think Houston was due to bounce back, especially after two, I would say, disappointing results in the derbies. So mm-hmm. uh, I think they, you know, they're going to come back swinging. Uh, so that's why I, I thought they were going to win two. Um, they were going to win the game, in which I ended up winning. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, finally, we have uh, Portland versus Vancouver, and that was a technically technically a derby. They're in the Cascadia Cup. But nobody, nobody considers nobody Vancouver. Won. I mean, nobody considers Vancouver to be a serious contender. It's mostly like you know, Portland, Seattle fighting against each other. Vancouver's like, hey, I'm here too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't ignore me. Yeah. So uh, Vancouver, I think they ended up getting some decent results. If not, if I'm not mistaken, they tied against Portland. I believe they won against Seattle. <laughs> yeah, Vancouver's had some some decent uh, showings uh, between. This draw, they drew against Cincinnati. Uh, they beat L.A. Uh, they drew against New England. And they beat FC Dallas. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the LAFC versus Nashville game. Very important game. We saw the debut for Giorgio Chiellini, who started as and, center back. And in the second half, uh, we got about 20 minutes of Gareth Bale. Who would touch the ball about five times. <laughs> and you know what? Those five times were magical every single time. And he did one back heel, which ended up on every Instagram soccer page around the world. And one like, back heel, and then Carlos Vela tried to do exactly the same thing, and what happened? Oh, he just ended up whiffing. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just funny, because uh, you could tell that they just wanted to do some fancy play. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but uh, what what do you think of Giorgio Chiellini in his first game for LAFC? Um, 
I was very impressed. I mean, how could I not be? It's Chiellini. He's a world-class defender. Definitely one of the best in the past, I'd say, what, at least minimum 10 years, but mm-hmm. definitely more than that. I mean, think uh, about uh, Jose Mourinho once said that Bonucci and Chiellini could write a book about how to defend. <laughs> they should. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're they're definitely like one and two when it comes to defenders if you think about defend defenders uh center backs especially um you can tell that there's still some catching up uh that has to be done between our defensive line especially between his like whatever partner center back he gets uh in this case he had murillo killini is just operating like a million miles faster than murillo so killini's movement coverage and thought process when it came to passes was just a breath of a breath of fresh air compared to what we normally see um apart from that his passes are on point which is something that we lack immensely when it comes to our players doing long balls uh but i i was just so relieved to see how how well and quick he ended up just adapting uh it still needs some time because it did look like he was kind of working overtime it was like he was putting 200 percent into his plays uh that day but i could almost tell you like the way he was playing you could just have one center back making him and then just that that's enough that's how well he was playing yeah, I mean, obviously he knows how to read the game better than anybody else. He's been doing it for years. Um, and I, I was really happy with his play. He's pretty consistent. I think he had a couple of shaky moments here and there, but I think that mostly involved his pace. But to mm-hmm. be fair, I think Murillo has a lot to, to work in in order to get that partnership going because unlike many positions on the field, um being center back, you got to create some sort of partnership, some kind of chemistry with the person that right. you're next to. And until that gets, you know, 100% smoothed out and they're on the same page, there's still going to be a couple of shaking moments here or there. But considering it was his first game, uh, wasn't too bad. And yeah. besides the, the, the penalty wasn't his fault. However, if you look at that replay, no. he was definitely grabbing somebody's shirt. <laughs> but the penalty was uh, Elias. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, uh, on top of that, Killini, what I liked was that he kind of just owned our defensive line. Yep. You know, he took ownership of it, yep. and he became the leader for that back line, telling everybody what to do, where to go. You know, what he's doing, just giving, just the communication was was visible. Yep. You know, compared to uh, any of the other times that we have had our our players you know defend like there's always kind of like this scrambling going on one guy going defending one guy then you have the other three defending one other guy and then you have two free attackers from the opposing team Mm -hmm. uh and this time around you would see that he would tell murillo to go to a certain spot wherever he wasn't covering and that he was going to chase a guy down and covering uh so that was really really good to see and i feel like one of our other center backs or at least one of our the defenders should learn that from him and take that responsibility yeah it's tricky because you're doing double duty you're making sure to 
you're seeing where everybody else is and you have to also be responsible for what you're doing on the field but i feel like if we want to be good we need to have at least one of our normal like long-term players do that and learn how to do that yeah uh, let's move on to Gareth Bale's debut. How do you feel that he did, even though he was only on the field for about 20 minutes? He was on the field for about 20 minutes. I maybe saw him for about two. Um, and those two minutes that I saw, I mean, I, I, he also hit the ground running. Yeah, he didn't do much, but you could tell that his movement really threw a lot of the other players off on the opposing team. Yeah, I would say compared to other players, especially at the time, he seemed like the player that was moving around the most, asking him to get the ball the most. He was, mm-hmm. um, I mean, pulling defenders around, uh, did a nice flick to Villa where then he ended up doing the back heel. I mean, you can already tell he's got something different about him compared to everybody else. Uh, and I think yeah. they're getting some good chemistry between him and uh, Cifuentes a little bit, which is good to see. I just don't want it to be another situation where they end up just passing it to Bale constantly, even if he's not in the best spot. I don't want him to be a playmaker. Yeah. If anything, he should get the ball in behind or, you know, at least around the box where he can do some damage and take a shot. Because um, although he didn't score a goal or anything like that, I would have loved to see him get, like, a shot on target that was saved or something like that, at least. but That, w- that would have been nice to see. Um, on top of that, like, I, I feel like I saw two different effects go on when he came on the field. With our team, I mean. Um you saw the players who are okay with playing um, with a player of that caliber on the field, which was like Vela. Like immediately he got his, it's like he got lifted up, you know, and and he was playing better. He was playing a bit more relaxed in a way. And then the other one was everybody else who isn't used to playing with him or playing with someone of that status they kind of just had this admiration effect where they were standing still and just watching him play instead of doing what you were saying, moving around, creating space and pulling defenders and getting into positions where they can make a playoff of uh, with him. They just ended up staring at him. Yeah. And, and I hope that that's not the case because yeah, it's great that he's on the team. It's great that he's a fantastic player who can do amazing things. But at the same time, you got to remember you're part of the team and you have to play with him so that he can also, you know, produce something. You got to play. Gonna with, take you got to play with him, not for him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I, that's the only thing I didn't like when I when I did see that. It's like I understand that you're probably amazed that you're playing with a player like him. But you can't go into fanboy mode. You're at work. You have to continue having your player mentality. Yeah. Uh, overall, I would say this game was pretty good. Um, I think it was a little nervy. I think we could have probably made it a little bit easier on ourselves. But I think Nashville was doing a good job of pressing us and causing mm-hmm. We didn't really turn the ball over a lot, but they were causing us to pass back to our goalie a lot and kind yeah. of reset. Um the but penalty you know that that actually was a good thing to see because most of the time our team would freak out in those yeah. moments. You know, they would try to force pass the ball in a direction that was obviously covered. And what I liked about it this time was that they were passing everything back. They were if you needed to reset, you did go back. You didn't freak out. You just took your time, played slow and 
opened up the other team to benefit you. And I feel like they kind of went into that mode when Chiellini was there. Uh, not saying that it went away after he was uh, subbed off, but you can definitely tell that you know they were more comfortable pushing back as opposed to other times where they would do that, but it would be in a freaked out mode. Like they wouldn't know what to do from there. Yeah. Um, besides that, um, Chicho ended up scoring another goal. I mean, he's been on fire practically every goal now. He's been scoring one. Um, what I would say is that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to get rid of a player, get rid of B-Rod, get that DP spot and give it to Chicho, you know, claim as much as he wants. Yeah. I don't think no, you could I... get a better DP than what he's doing right now. No, he has been playing out of his mind. Uh, the results and his statistics show that he's been playing incredible. Um, yeah, he's had some a, a bit of a slow start at points, but he's delivered every single time. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, with this game, I think we both agreed that instead of seeing him getting subbed off, we, they should have subbed off a Poku and brought in Bale, and it would have been really nice to see what kind of combination these front three could have had. Bale, Chicho, and Vela. Yeah, I mean, it could be that he's still nursing that injury that he said he had in the Galaxy game. That's true. Could yeah. be they're just taking it easy, but I'm sure we'll see a Chicho, Bale, um, and Vela uh, line up one of these days, and we'll see how good that's going to be. Uh, besides that, um, Sifu's scoring again. He's also on fire lately. Uh, three goals in his last two games, so that's not bad. Yeah, no, he's he's been performing amazing. Yeah, and so, he made it to I'm, the team. I'm of the pretty week. happy with the team. I'm pretty happy with the team and and the results. Um, I would say that they played completely different to how they normally do. Yeah. Um. What else? Uh, I mean, that's it. Was pretty much a straight. It wasn't like the most action packed game. I'll be honest. It wasn't the most action packed but it was enjoyable to watch. Yes. And, I mean, Gareth Bale looked happy, uh, which yeah. is good, keeping our top players happy. Um, another thing I want to say, so uh, speaking of uh, sending players out, um, LAFC ended up loaning Francisco slash Pancho Ginella to Uruguay's Nacional, who is actually the rival of Peñarol, which is where Brian Rodriguez and Diego Rossi came from. Oh, so, really? So, Ooh. basically, they loaned him out so they can get more game time. I mean, he wasn't... Clearly, he wasn't fitting in that well at LAFC. Like, he did give him plenty of chances. It just didn't seem like he clicked, right? Um, right. On top of that, we already have his replacement, who he signed from Orlando City. Uh, we got Sebastian... I mean, Sebastian Mendes. I don't know why I'm saying it like white guy. <laughs> Sebastian <laughs> Mendes from Ecuador. Um, he's 25 years old, plays center mid, and uh, we we didn't trade anybody for him. We we got him with uh, general allocation money, about 300000 I don't know what that so means we, yet. <laughs> we, we got him from uh, that Zimmerman money. Yeah. So uh, should be a decent player. I mean, it's basically switching one player for the other, apparently. Right. I know we're supposed to sign that midfielder from Bayern. He was training with us. It was all... Ready, set to go. He was happy to join the club, and the last minute, Byron's like, "Oh yeah, he's going training with us. Um, we'll let you know. What? We'll let you know how we want to, how much we want to sell him for after preseason." What is that? Which is, which is, it, it technically ends at the end of this week, but yeah. So um, a lot of people are saying that's just a tactic by Byron to 
drive up the price for us to pay more? Of course it is. Considering that this guy has been loaned out in all the, the previous years, and it's not like he's young either. He's like 23, 24. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're they're gonna end up selling no matter yeah. what. I mean, look at what happened with Lewa. Yeah. So LAFC was just like, you know, what? we're not we, we're not gonna play those games. We're just gonna sign somebody else, <laughs> and that's yeah. what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Now so, now they're stuck with their player, or yeah. they're just gonna find another place to loan them out. Yes, but now we have another Ecuadorian in the midfield. Who? Yeah. Uh, he played for that connection, and he's got MLS experience because he's been playing in the league for four years. Oh, that's even better. Yep. So we got MLS experience. We got Ecuador in the midfield, who's going to make a pair with Sifu, or maybe just be a sub out for Sifu. Um, mm-hmm. So they should get along pretty good. If not, he can replace Acosta, and then we can have both Sifu and Sebastian Mendes there. But right. um, yeah, so a good substitution for us. Uh, hopefully, being in a team like LAFC elevates him, and he's actually you know way better than a substitute, considering how our bench is. Right. A lot of those players could start in a bunch of other MLS teams. Um, so mm-hmm. wish him all the best. I'm excited to see if he plays in the next match and how he's going to play pretty much. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see how they develop as players. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much all I got for, for this episode. Is there anything we missed? Um, not that I know of. All right, then we're going to call it there, uh, for the end of episode 29. So join us later this week when we will release episode 30, um can't believe we're already at 30 episodes uh but yeah episode 30 uh where we're gonna preview the games upcoming this weekend did you say the women's games were midweek or at the weekend um they start wednesday okay so, so we will we will review the women's games uh probably they'll all be done by the time we talk about them right so mm, two of them should be done well i mean by the time we recorded it, it's in the night so that's what i'm saying yeah, but uh, let me double check. Um, I know that there's going to be one on Friday. That's why. Yeah. Women's Euro. So we have one on Wednesday, uh, which is the England Spain. That's at uh, 12 p.m. Pacific. We have Germany Austria on Thursday the 21st, and that's also midday uh, Pacific time. Um, Sweden oh, okay. and Belgium is on Friday, and France Netherlands is on okay, Saturday. Okay. okay, I guess. Okay, you're right. Well, we'll review two of them. Then. <laughs> yeah, we'll review two of them, and know at least two semifinalists already for the women's zero. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, that that's gonna be it for this episode. Please make sure to join us on the next one. Uh, follow us on social media, though we don't post as often as we should. <laughs> Which it's pretty much only Twitter. (laughs) And if you know how Barcelona is paying for all these players, tell me. I want to know. I'm curious. Yes, please. Uh, If you can tell us how they did it, I'm sure everybody else would like to know too because nobody knows. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's going to be it for this episode. I'll see you guys in the next one. Late.